My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. Did you actually come back for more? We're talking about the Great Commission. We started a lesson uh, last episode, and we're going to finish it up this episode. We're talking about the Great Commission. Is it the commission God wants us to be working on during the church age, or is the Great Commission only for Israel within the context of the tribulation, outside the context of the church? Thanks for coming back. Thanks for listening to my podcast, and I hope it's fun. This is good. This is a fun lesson, this one and the next one. we got a lot of deep weeds, a lot of fun doctrinal stuff, and I always say, you know, that's this doctrinal stuff. It's, it's that glue that holds the pieces of the Bible together, because without understanding the doctrine of the Bible, you're just kind of in this Bible buffet. You just kind of belly up to the buffet and pick whichever verses you want to apply to your life willy-nilly, and don't give any much thought to it. And so, we're taking a little bit of time to look at the doctrinal context of the Great Commission, and I'm not going to take a whole lot of time and rehash what we saw, but what we saw was that there is a context in the Bible, and we need to understand the Bible being God's self-revelation. This is God's self-declaration of who He is, what He's doing, what He's like, and He gave the revelation progressively. He didn't give the revelation all in one shot, okay? He gave the revelation well, little by little um, through, the, through history. So over about 2,000 years, through about 45 different human authors, we got 66 books of the Bible, and it was given in, in pieces, in chunks, okay, throughout history. And so we need to take that into consideration when we're looking at a passage. So right now we're looking at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, and Acts chapter 1. So the end of the Gospels, the beginning of Acts— Chronologically, if you think about events, we're talking about after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but before his ascension into heaven. And so think about that in the progressive revelation of Scripture. Think about that in, in the context of what we, what we saw about Paul and about the, the, the church, the body of Christ. When did God reveal the church, the body of Christ among the Gentiles. Well, he didn't reveal that until Acts chapter 9. So the Bible says very specifically in passages like um, Ephesians 3, Galatians chapter 1, uh, Colossians 1, 24 to 27, it says that, um, that, that God had the mystery of the body of Christ, okay, Jew and Gentile members in the same body, he had that hid as a mystery from the beginning of the world. So that means from Genesis 1-1 until he revealed it to Paul in Acts chapter 9, nobody knew anything about the church, the body of Christ, the church age in which we're living. So we took a little bit of time to look at Daniel chapter 9 because we know Daniel chapter 9 is basically a foundational passage about eschatology, about things to come. And that means we looked at it from the perspective of okay, from from uh, you know nine twenty four in the in the 
the summary of what this is all about. He gives 70 weeks of years, 490 years from the going forth of the edict to rebuild Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity, basically Ezra chapter 1, until the coming of the Messiah and his substitutionary death. In the Gospels, you have 69 weeks of years. So when the Messiah is cut off, but not for himself, Daniel 9.26, we know the crucifixion, there is one week left in Daniel's prophecy. Okay, one week left. And that means that that's what the disciples understood when, when Jesus Christ gave them the Great Commission. They understood that because Luke 24, verses 44 and 45, tell us that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, gave his apostles a supernatural understanding and comprehension of Scripture, including prophecy about him, the Messiah. So they understood very, very clearly, probably better than anyone else since, except Paul, what was going on at that time. So when we get up to Acts chapter 1, verse 6, and they're asking about the kingdom, are you going to establish the kingdom of Israel now? And Jesus says, now, wait a minute, um, it's not for us to know the times and the seasons, just go preach. It was contingent. It was not that Jesus Christ told them, no, you bunch of blockheads, uh, we're not talking about a kingdom, a political kingdom for Israel. I want to establish a church age for another 2,000 years. We're going to work at building churches among the Gentiles. No. Folks, that was still a mystery. It was still hidden. It was something that God didn't reveal. It was contingent upon Israel. And so we see the disciples, the apostles, and then those first believers in the first few chapters of Acts going out and preaching, Jesus Christ is coming back, repent, the kingdom is at hand, they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom, nobody knows anything. Folks, nothing, nobody knows anything about the church age the church, the body of Christ, until Acts chapter 9. Because in Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen presenting the the gospel of the kingdom one more time, presenting Jesus as the king and the fulfillment of prophecy to the leaders of the nation of Israel and Jerusalem, and they reject it, they stone him, they kill him, and God says, I'm done. He puts Israel aside in the words of, or in the metaphor of, of, of Romans chapter 11. He cuts off the natural branches And he says, I'm done with Israel for a time until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And he grafts in the Gentiles into this blessing. Now the Gentiles can be saved without going through the nation of of Israel. And so we see God raises up Paul in chapter 9 of of the book of Acts to take that new gospel, okay, that gospel of the grace of God, to take that new revelation of the mystery of the body of Christ out to the Gentiles and establish local churches and establish what we know as the church age. And we got done with uh, with our episode, the last one, with this question, you know, this This doctrinal context, what we can call a chronological context, don't read read back into the Gospels in the first chapters of the book of Acts what we know as further revelation after the Apostle Paul, okay? Because Paul and all the Pauline epistles, all of that that comes later is, is additional revelation that God gave after the rejection of Jesus Christ by the nation of Israel. So to read that back into, to read later revelation back into previous revelation is what we call an anachronism. That's what we're going to talk about in the following 
episodes, we're going to talk about anachronisms in the Great Commission. But what we're going to do, finish up today, I want to talk about the Great Commission and us, because we just placed the Great Commission into a very specific doctrinal and Jewish context. Nobody knows anything about the Church. The commission was given to the Jews. It was given to the Jews at the very beginning of, the, of Daniel's 70th week. They know Jesus Christ could come back within seven years. They asked, is it going to happen? And Jesus says, whoa, don't worry about times and seasons. Just go preach. And they're preaching the kingdom, trying to get Israel to repent. We know Israel doesn't repent, and so there's a change. But what does all this have to do with the Great Commission and us today? And it has a lot to do with us in the body of Christ and the Great Commission. You see, the Great Commission was given before the revelation of the Church, the body of Christ. That means, listen, the Great Commission was given before that rejection of the kingdom by Israel in Acts chapter 7. So it was given before the transition that we see happen in Acts 8 to 28, the transition from Israel to the church, the transition from Jews to Gentiles. And so the Great Commission, as it was given at the end of the Gospels, at the beginning of the book of Acts, is without doubt Jewish in nature. It, it's totally focused on the plan and program of God for Israel. So the Great Commission at the end of the Gospels, the Great Commission at the beginning of the book of Acts, deals with the establishment of the Davidic and Messianic kingdom with Jesus Christ reigning over the nations, over the Gentile nations, through the nation of Israel. And so the, the original purpose of the Great Commission was that Israel would be converted first. That's Jerusalem and Judea. Okay, let's, let's, let's go to Acts chapter 8. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now this is, remember, this is before, this is before any revelation of the church. Nobody knows that there's even a church age. Nobody knows there's going to be a church age. Nobody knows about the salvation of the Gentiles. Nobody knows about the gospel of the grace of God. We're, we're talking a very specific kingdom focus at this time. Okay, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus Christ, okay, here's our great commission, commission passage. He says, to his disciples, to the apostles, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, now I know what happens, okay? I know where your mind has gone. I know what you think because, I mean, I've heard the same messages. I've probably even preached messages like this. What happens is, we'll hear a message about this 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 verse, right, in a missions conference, or I don't know what, somebody wants to soup us up for, uh, you know, global missions, or wants to, you know, motivate us to go out and preach the gospel, <clears throat> and they'll go to this, to this passage, and they'll say, look, we are called to be witnesses in Jerusalem. So what's your Jerusalem? Okay, I'm living in Kansas City, or a suburb of Kansas City, and uh, so my Jerusalem, let's just say my city is Kansas City. Okay, so I'm supposed to go out and be a witness in Kansas City, my Jerusalem. Okay, I get it. And then in Judea and Samaria. Well, those were the regions around Jerusalem. So I could go and be a witness in my Judea and my Samaria, which would be like Kansas and Missouri. Since we got Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri, well, the region around Kansas City is Kansas and Missouri. So my Judea 
and my Samaria is Kansas and Missouri. And then it says, under the uttermost part of the earth. So that means I need to participate in global missions. So you see what we just did with that? We, we approached this passage. We took no bother to look at the doctrinal context or the context at all. We just assumed it was for us, and we went ahead and applied it to us, and we committed an error that's called allegory. It's an allegorical interpretation of this passage. Let me show you the flip side of that coin, the opposite, so that you can understand the allegory. The opposite would be a very literal interpretation. If you were to uh, apply this passage to yourself, literally, it says that you're supposed to be a witness in Jerusalem, so you need to get on a plane and go to Jerusalem. You need to first evangelize Jerusalem. After that, go into Judea, which is around Jerusalem. And then after you evangelize all of Judea, then you need to go into Samaria, which again, probably up north of Judea, that's the the mixed um, people, the half Gentile, half Jew. And then after you reach Samaria, then you can go to the uh, uttermost part of the earth and participate in global missions. That would be a literal fulfillment of this, this, or literal application of this passage. Not only you would need to do that, but anybody who wants to say that this passage, the Great Commission, is for the church today. To apply this passage literally, as it's written, normally, as God spoke it to us, you need to get on a plane and go to Jerusalem. So do you see the problem we get in? And we get out of that problem not by adjusting ourselves to the Bible, but rather by adjusting the Bible to us and saying, well... It doesn't really mean Jerusalem. It means the city where you're at. That's that's your Jerusalem. That's Kansas City. And then you need to go out to the regions around your Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, which is Kansas and Missouri. And then you need to go to the uttermost part of the earth, which is global missions. And folks, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It's ridiculous. When you look at this passage in its context, now listen, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has died, was buried, he rose again, it's right before his ascension. We know from Daniel 9, 26 and 27 that the 69th week of Daniel's prophecy is over. They're starting the 70th week of Daniel, there's seven years Then the second coming will come where Jesus Christ comes back and he establishes his messianic Davidic kingdom on the earth, millennium. The apostles know nothing about the church age, the church, the body of Christ. God did not give that revelation until later in Acts chapter 9, and he gave it to Paul only after Israel rejected Jesus Christ as their as their Messiah for the ultimate time, for the last time. And so when we look at Acts chapter 8, we have to put ourselves in the chronological context of this passage. We have to understand the cumulative context up to this point, and we have to be very careful not to read back into this passage truth that God gave later in his progressive revelation, specifically the revelation he gave to Paul in Acts chapter 9 and after. That is not truth that God had revealed in Acts chapter 1. 
And so the, the original purpose of the Great Commission is contained right here in Acts chapter 8. Okay, think about this with me. Think about this with me. Let me get my finger in a passage back in. I'm going to go back to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter, is it 4 or is it 2? Hang on, I think it's 4 verses, no, it's 2, 1 to 4. Isaiah 2, 1 to 4. Okay, we'll get that in there maybe here in just a sec. But the, the original purpose of the Great Commission in this context, right here, right now, is first that Israel would be converted first. So Jesus Christ says, look, you just wait here in Jerusalem until you get the Holy Ghost. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witness un, witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. So I want Jerusalem to be evangelized first. I want you to preach the gospel of the kingdom in Jerusalem first. Remember, the gospel of the grace of God that Paul preached was not revealed until Acts chapter 9. Okay, that's Galatians 1, 11 to 17. That's Ephesians 3, 1 to 9. That says Colossians 1, 24 to 27. Go back and look at those passages. Acts chapter 9, Paul says, after I got saved, immediately I didn't confer with men. I went out into the desert, got revelation from Jesus Christ, where he gave me the revelation that was hid, the mystery that was hid from the beginning of, of, of creation. Okay, so they know nothing about the church. They know nothing about taking the gospel of the grace of God out among the Gentiles. What they know is, is the prophecies of the kingdom, God's kingdom program for Israel. The, the Messiah's been cut off. He's resurrected. Now we got one week left in Daniel's 70th weeks, and we get the kingdom. So there's, they're, they're, they ask Jesus, are you going to restore at this time the kingdom to Israel? Jesus says, well, we don't know the times and the seasons. What I want you to do is go preach, because it depends. It depends on whether Israel repents, converts, receives Jesus as their Messiah, as the King, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, and the rightful reign, the rightful King over them, to reign over them and over the nations. So Jerusalem first. And then after Jerusalem, he says, I want you to be, to be witnesses in Judea. And again, Judea is the area, the region immediately around Jerusalem. After Judea, which is Jews, so we still have Jerusalem, that's where the leaders were, that's the capital of, of, of Israel, that's the hub, that's where our leaders are, them first, I need the leaders. After the leaders are converted in Jerusalem, then I want you to go out to Judea, okay, because Judea, we know Jews were in Judea, the Israelites, okay, that hadn't mixed with the Gentiles. And after you reach Judea, and after Judea converts to Jesus Christ, I want you to go to Samaria. Samaria is that, that people group that was half Jew, half Gentile. I want you to reach Samaria so that they convert to Jesus Christ. And then once Samaria is reached, then, then, and only then do we go out to the, to, to the Gentiles, to the uttermost part of the earth, and we bring the Gentiles in. This is exactly what we see in the kingdom prophecies in the prophets like Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. God had always had always part had had prophesied and he talked about he he promised the salvation of the Gentiles. It was always part of God's kingdom program, but the salvation of the Gentiles was always subservient to his kingdom program with Israel. What I mean by that is the Gentiles to be saved had to get to God through Israel. That's how God that's how God designed it. It says in, in Isaiah 2.1, and this is only just a, just one passage to give you an example of what I mean. Several passages that talk about the salvation of the Gentiles. This is a good one. It says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It says, And it shall come to pass in the last days. 
Okay, this is the last days, this kingdom, this prophecy about Messianic kingdom, Davidic kingdom, millennium. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. So at the end of time, okay, at the, in the Messianic Davidic kingdom, the mountain of the Lord's house, that's Israel. Israel will be over the mountains, exalted above the hills. That means it's going to be exalted above the nations which flow into it. Verse 3. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of uh, the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he, the Lord, in Jerusalem shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And so what we see in this prophecy and others like it is that God has a plan to save Israel, but but the or to save Gentiles, but the Gentiles come to salvation, they come to God through Israel. Through Israel. All right. That's what we see happening in Acts chapter one. Verse 8, God, in the original, his original purpose in the Great Commission, gave this commission to his, his disciples in Acts chapter 1 to go and preach first to Jerusalem and Judea so that Israel might be converted first. After Jerusalem and Judea, after the Jews, the pure Jews that hadn't mixed with the Gentiles, he says, I want you to go into Samaria. Samaria was that people group that was mixed, half Jew, half Gentile. Okay, so they're still part of God's people among Samaria. And God says, once you reach Jerusalem and Judea, go to Samaria. Okay, that's half Jew, half Gentile. And then and only then go out to the Gentiles, okay, unto the uttermost part of the earth, and then bring the Gentiles in through Israel, like we saw in, in Isaiah 2, 1 to 4. But here's the problem. That never happened. The disciples, the apostles, the early believers in Acts chapter 1, they never fulfilled even the first part of the Great Commission. Because the Jews in Jerusalem rejected the gospel, they rejected the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of that, they rejected the kingdom. Now, that, that's, that's got some implications, okay, for us today. Now, again, again, we're going to see that in principle, the Great Commission is for us, but in context, in historical context and doctrinal context, we have to understand this is a commission that is Jewish in nature. It is for the conversion of the Jews first and then the Gentiles through Israel. This is not the same taking of the gospel out to the Gentiles that we see with Paul because that was New Revelation. And let me show you the problem that we get into if we just dive into the Great Commission and start applying things to ourselves willy-nilly, okay? One of the commandments, so let's go, I'm going to go back to Matthew 28. Like I said, this is probably one of the most used passages of the Great Commission, so we're going to, we'll use this as an example. And it says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go ye therefore 
and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. And then he says very specifically what he wants, wants his disciples to teach the new converts. Pay attention, verse 20. Jesus says, teaching them, the new converts, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so one of the things Jesus says very specifically in the Great Commission, okay, if we just ask, what does the Bible say? He tells his disciples, whatsoever I have commanded you, that's what I want you to teach your new disciples so that they will obey it also. Okay, let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 just as a, a just as a example, Matthew chapter 6, to look at one of the things, one of the many things that Jesus taught his disciples, what Jesus taught his disciples to obey. Okay, Jesus Christ taught his disciples conditional forgiveness. Okay, now, now I'm going to, I need to get my, my finger in my, my passage here. He says, whatsoever I, he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So we're supposed, if the, if the Great Commission is directly for us, we are supposed to teach our new converts everything that Jesus Christ taught and commanded his disciples. So we have to go backwards from the Great Commission. We have to go back into the Gospels to find what we are supposed to teach new converts. When we do that, we get to a passage like Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Is that something that you teach new converts today? Seriously. I mean, if, if we're supposed to apply the Great Commission, if this commission is for us directly, I mean, word for word, if we're supposed to teach new converts to observe all things, everything whatsoever I have commanded you, whatsoever Jesus Christ commanded his earthly 12 disciples, apostles, if we're to do that, that means we're supposed to teach what Jesus Christ taught his disciples in the Gospels. And one of the things he said that said that if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So it's conditional forgiveness. Do we teach that to our new converts today? Is that something that we teach today? Is that something that Paul teaches? And the answer is clearly no. You see, the Lord, through Paul, teaches us today that our forgiveness in Christ is unconditional and complete from the moment of our salvation. Colossians 2.13. Colossians 2.13, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says, and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, listen, having forgiven you all trespasses. And so right away, we see that there's a problem if we want to apply the Great Commission to ourselves directly. Now, I know, obviously, there are so many pastors and teachers today that are so sloppy in their doctrine that they never even get to something as simple as this. Just comparing Scripture with Scripture, just taking the Word at what it says. Most people, they, they have no earthly clue what a biblical expository sermon sounds like. 
for most people in most churches today, a sermon is a self-help, Bible-infused TED Talk, okay? But I'm telling you, we just saw one example. Conditional forgiveness in the gospel, unconditional forgiveness in the Pauline epistles. So there's a difference. And what that tells us is, look, we need to understand the Great Commission in its proper biblical context. If we, need to, if we want to know today how to apply the Great Commission to us, Gentile Christians for the most part, I'm sure there's some Jewish Christians out there, but, but for the most part, the, the church is made up of Gentiles. Look, we live during this parenthetical church age between God's kingdom program and the 69 weeks and the 70th week there in Daniel. And so let's just take a look at the Great Commission in its, in its biblical context, its proper biblical context. And what I want to do right now is just take a look, a brief look, at each of the five Great Commission passages. Matthew 28, Mark 16, we'll go all the way up to Acts chapter 1. And I want to show you, just by simple observation, that the Great Commission does not apply to us directly. But the Great Commission does apply to us in principle. And what we want to see is that that every essential principle of the Great Commission can be found in the life, ministry, and teaching of our Apostle Paul. The only thing that God has changed in the Great Commission for us is the content the content of what we preach, the content of what we teach. Okay, we, we no longer announce the kingdom to the Jews. We're, we're no longer preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Rather, what we do, what we preach, what we announce to lost people is salvation to everybody. We preach the gospel of the grace of God. And so I want to do something. I want to do this because it's it's... It's very important that we understand the doctrinal context. That's one extreme, that we don't apply this this Great Commission to us directly. It's not for us directly. It's Jewish. It's totally Jewish in nature. And yet, I want to avoid the other extreme. And I mentioned this in the previous podcast. It's the extreme of the hyper-dispensationalist. It's the people who go take this idea of dispensations and divisions in the Scripture, and they divide it up too much. Hyper-dispensationalism, Okay. And I'm not, and I just don't agree with either of the extremes. The Great Commission, in context, can be applied to us today in the church age. But we have to take it in its proper context so that we don't twist the Scripture. And so, just with one simple observation, we'll get right into it in Matthew 28. The simple observation is this. Look, the Lord never gave a new commission to Paul. Now think about that. In, in the, the writings of Paul, all 14 books that Paul wrote us, or 13 that he wrote the, the Christian church, and of course he wrote Hebrews, so there's your 14th, but in, in all the books that Paul wrote, Paul never gave a new great commission. There's, there's never a new passage where Paul gives a commission to the church. Rather, what we see is that through Paul... The Lord tweaked the, the Great Commission just a little bit. He adapted it. He changed it 
so that the, the Great Commission, as given originally to the apostles before his ascension, could be applied to us today. So it's the same Great Commission in principle, but the content has been changed. And it's been changed because of the rejection of Jesus Christ by the Jews and because of the revelation of the mystery of the body of Christ that was hidden from the beginning of the world. And so let's just take a look, starting with Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Again, the passage says, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so in the original commission, Jesus Christ gives it to his apostles, and they were supposed to go to all nations. They're supposed to make disciples by doing two things, okay? So they're supposed to go, they're supposed to baptize, and they're supposed to teach. I'm going to read it again and just pay attention to those three things, okay? Three things, because we're talking about these three principal things, okay? Go ye therefore, teach all nations. So they're supposed to, they're in Jerusalem, and we saw they're supposed to go to Judea, Samaria, the, 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 up to the, the, the ends of the earth. Okay, so they're supposed to go out into all nations. Then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and then teaching them to observe. Okay? So we have those three things, go, baptize, and teach. So let's talk about go. In go, in that command, in that imperative, what we see is, is what we would call world missions. Because God is interested in the salvation of all men everywhere. Uh, a couple examples, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. The Bible says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. You see, God just doesn't want men in Kansas City to be saved. God just doesn't want men in Canada to be saved. God just doesn't want men in Jerusalem to be saved. God wants all men to be saved. And so we see that, this go, this command, this imperative of the Great Commission still applies to us today. Our commission, the mission that we do together, a cooperative mission, co-mission in the body of Christ, still contains this element. God wants us to go because God wants us to be out among the, the lost. God does just doesn't want us to just stay within the four walls of our church. He wants us to go to our city, to our, our state, to our country, to other countries, to other cultures. He wants us to go. And this is what we see in the church of the Thessalonians. The church of the Thessalonians is one of those churches that Paul puts up before us as a good example. Okay, listen to what he says about this church. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. I'm going to read verses 5 to 8. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Paul says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to them, to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. He says in verse 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God were to spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. So from Thessalonica, they had preached the word in Thessalonica. They went out to Macedonia and Achaia. That's their, quote-unquote, Judea and Samaria, the regions surrounding their city, Thessalonica. But the, he says, also in every place your faith toward God were to spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. They went, they went even farther than the region around their city. 
And so this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to go to our city, to the region around our city, and to the world to preach the gospel. And so we we see that the Great Commission, this element of missions, global missions, world missions, to go out and preach the gospel to the lost, it still applies to us. It applies to us in the church. So let's talk about teaching. Okay, we, we had these three elements in, in the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, uh, go, uh, baptizing, and teaching. Let's talk about teaching before we talk about baptism. We'll talk about baptism here, but I want to talk about the teaching, because God still wants us to go and teach people the Bible, the Word of God, the Scripture, okay, to everybody. Um, you know, you think about evangelism, and you think about edification. If discipleship is evangelism and edification, how do we evangelize? Well, we teach people the gospel. We announce it with authority, preaching, but we're, we're teaching the, what the Bible says, what the gospel is. And then, of course, when people get saved, that's the same thing we do. We teach them the Bible. Why? Because we want them to grow in Jesus Christ, and it's the Scripture that was given for our edification so that we might be perfected. Listen to what it says about our Apostle Paul. Paul's an example. He's the one we follow. He's the one we imitate. He's the one we want to be like so that we can follow Christ. Uh, we can follow Paul as he is following Christ, and that way we follow Christ. And Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27, he says, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. And he's pure from the blood of all men. Why? Verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So Paul, he says, I've declared to you all the counsel of God. I taught you the Bible. I taught you the Scripture. I taught you what you need to know. We see the same thing at the beginning of this chapter, Acts chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. It says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And so Paul always gave people much exhortation. He gave them much teaching from the Scripture, the, the whole counsel of God. And this is what he says in Colossians 1.27, okay, that, that passage we looked at in the context of the mystery of Christ. He says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Then he says in verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And so that's the goal. Paul says, hey, I want to teach you what God wants you to know so that you can be made perfect in Christ Jesus. And then, and then let's look at one more passage, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 16. 1 Timothy 4, 6 to 16 is that, that great passage about um, you know, what it takes to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 6, and I'm going to skip some verses, but he says, Look, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And then he goes on, and he says, this is a faithful saying, verse 9, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is a Savior of all men, especially those that believe these things, command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, charity, spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, he says, give attendance to what? To reading to exhortation, to doctrine, to teaching. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given to thee by the prophecy, which with the laying on, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, 
Meditate on these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. He says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, the teaching, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee, hear the doctrine that you're teaching. And so, all of that to say this, in the Great Commission we see the command, go and baptize and teach. Okay, so we're looking at teaching. We still teach. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to teach, to preach to the lost so, so they can be saved. He wants us to teach, to preach, to, to educate, to, to, to give doctrine to the saved so they can grow in Jesus Christ, be conformed to his image. However, now here's the problem. Here's the problem. We have to be careful because we have to establish the context. Here is where we see the change that God has made after that, that last and final rejection of Jesus by the leaders of the nation of Israel in Acts chapter 7. You see, at, at the end of the Gospels, when God was, was, was offering, he was, he was getting ready to offer the kingdom to Israel one more time, okay? Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, all 1 to 7. The, the teaching of the Great Commission included the Gospel of the Kingdom, Okay, the teaching that was in the Great Commission, like we saw in Matthew 28, 20, were, were the things that Jesus Christ had commanded to his 12 apostles. Okay, that's what's called the Apostles' Doctrine. Folks, we don't teach the Apostles' Doctrine today. They taught the Apostles' Doctrine in the first few chapters, the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. After that, we don't teach the Apostles' Doctrine. The Apostles' Doctrine deals with the teaching of Jesus Christ that he gave under the law to his 12 apostles in the, in the four Gospels. But after the rejection of the kingdom by Israel in Acts chapter 7, we see that God gave the gospel of the grace of God to Paul, and he gave him the new revelation for the body of Christ, and now... The teaching that Jesus Christ gives us is the teaching he gave through Paul. And so Paul's teaching has primacy. That's a kind of a word that, that needs to be applied here. Paul's teaching has primacy. And I know that probably kind of sounds heretical to people because Paul's teaching is, is primary. For us today in the church age, Paul's teaching is, is, has primacy over the teaching that we find in the Gospels. Now that, I know it sounds heretical because the teaching in the Gospels is, is what we, we know of the teaching of Jesus Christ during his first coming. So it sounds like we're saying we're, we're putting Paul above Jesus. We're not doing that. What we're doing is saying Matthew received the revelation that he wrote down from Jesus Christ the Lord, inspiration. Mark, Luke, John, when they wrote their Gospels, and Luke wrote the book of Acts, they received the revelation that they wrote down from Jesus Christ. The same thing with Paul. When Paul wrote his letters to the churches and to the leaders, okay, Romans to Philemon, he wrote those letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. The Lord gave him the words to write down. And so we're looking at the revelation of God, inspired, written revelation in all of these books. All we're saying is that when we look at the progressive revelation of Scripture and take it in its chronological and cumulative context, 
the writings of Paul contain the doctrine and instruction Jesus Christ gave and inspired and wrote down for the church age. Therefore, Paul's writings have primacy over the other writings of Scripture. Now, obviously, we're not saying that that you know, we're not trying to contradict 2 Timothy 3:15 to 17. All scripture is given by inspiration. All scripture is profitable. All we're saying is we take Paul's inspired writings with primacy over the rest of scripture because the rest of scripture was not written to us. The vast majority of the rest of scripture was written to Israel. There's some scripture that was written to to Gentiles, but it's very little. The vast majority of the rest of scripture outside the Pauline epistles to the church, Romans to Philemon, it's all written to Israel, and we are not Israel. And so the the principle here we see in 2 Corinthians 5.16. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, the Bible says, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, first coming, Gospels, yet now henceforth know we him no more. We don't know Jesus Christ after the flesh. What does that mean? We follow Jesus Christ who is seated on the right hand of God and who gave new revelation for us in the church age. New revelation. Not the revelation that came about when he was here in the flesh, in the Gospels, but new revelation through the Apostle Paul. And so the books that Paul wrote, Romans to Philemon, are the books that for us in the church age have primacy. So what we see is the Great Commission in principle does apply to us. We are to go, we're to teach, but here in the teaching is where we see the difference And the difference is what will get you into trouble if you don't establish the context. We do not teach what the original 12 apostles were commanded to teach in the original Great Commission. We are to go and teach all nations what God gave in the revelation through the Apostle Paul. We preach the gospel of Paul, which is the gospel of the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We preach that gospel to the lost for their salvation, and Paul's writings have primacy to teach believers in the church age how they're supposed to live, obviously taking into account the rest of the whole of Scripture. Now let's talk about baptism, and I think baptism is 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 one of those those points. It kind of gets it gets a little hung up here because the hyper dispensationalists, those who say that um, the Great Commission is not for us, they say baptism is a is is not for us today, and we should not baptize in water. And so um, that's just one of the one of the characteristics of a hyper dispensationalist. Okay, they don't believe in water baptism for people today. I would like to simply draw your attention to two passages. Number one, Acts chapter 9, verse 18. Okay, we're not going to read it. Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 18, obviously in Acts chapter 9, we're talking about the salvation of Paul. That's Paul's conversion experience. And what we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, is Paul was baptized. Now, a lot of people say, well, you can't really use that as an example because, you know, God hadn't given the revelation of the church yet. Okay, and I get it. That's fine. Um, if you want to, you know, exclude that, that's, it really doesn't matter. Um, Acts chapter 9, we see Paul was baptized, but we also see that Paul baptized. During his ministry, Paul had the custom of baptizing people. He didn't baptize everybody, but he did baptize. 
Now look at 1 Corinthians 1, 13-16. Paul says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name, and I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides, I, I know not whether I baptized any other. And so regardless of what, what you say about baptism, Paul baptized people. Paul was baptized himself in water, and he baptized people in water. Now, obviously, he says in this same, same passage in verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, we know that the, the preaching of the gospel is, is primary. That, that's what we're sent to do, to evangelize the lost, go preach the gospel. But that doesn't obviate, okay, that doesn't mean, that doesn't negate, I guess would be a better word, the fact that Paul baptized. He wasn't sent primarily to baptize, he was sent primarily to preach the gospel. But after he preached the gospel and had new converts, you know what he did? He baptized them in water, just like he was baptized in water. So baptism for us, in principle, forms part of that Great Commission. Go, teach people. Once you get a new convert, baptize them and keep teaching them. Baptism, you see, is the first, it's a first step of obedience for a new convert. It's one of the first opportunities a new disciple has to identify with Christ. Do you remember that? One of the means of edification, one of those, that, that first means of edification identify with Christ. Well, one of the easiest ways a new believer can identify with Christ publicly is through water baptism. He stands up before a local body of believers, and he says, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have died to myself, repentance, and I am raised in Jesus Christ to, to walk in the newness of life. That's my faith in Jesus Christ, and I am following him. And as a symbol, as an outward profession of his faith, he's, he's, he's baptized in water. Okay, a symbol of the death underwater, the burial and the resurrection, bring him up out of the water to walk in, in the newness of life. So baptism can be applied to us today. So what do we see then? And I, I spend a little bit more time in, in, in the Great Commission of Matthew than, than I will in the, the remainder of the Great Commission passages, just because it's one of those passages that's key. Okay, Everybody uses Matthew 28 to talk about the Great Commission. And so I wanted to, to bring this out. Look, the Great Commission in its essential elements is for us. We go, world missions, we teach, okay, preaching the gospel of the lost and teaching the, the whole counsel of God to the saved, and we baptize people. And so we just saw that the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 19, and 20 can be applied to us today if we simply take it in its rightful context. We need to go to where sinners are. That includes our city, that includes our state, that includes our country. And folks, we need to be involved in world missions, to go to other countries, other cultures, uh, to, to the ends of the earth to go preach the gospel. We need to teach people about God. We need to teach the lost about the gospel. We need to teach the saved, the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, all of it. And we need to baptize people. We need to baptize new converts to give them that opportunity to identify publicly with Christ as a first act or first step of obedience. So that's the Great Commission. And God, God expects us today to fulfill the Great Commission in, in, in principle, to apply the principles to us in the church age. But look, it's in principle. It's not directly. It's in principle. Go teach, baptize, okay? 
we need to understand that there were changes, very clear doctrinal changes, very clear, if you want to call on this, dispensational changes that God made in the content of the Great Commission. Think about evangelism. Look, we do not preach the same gospel the, the 12 apostles were preaching. They were preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. They're preaching the kingdom during the Gospels, during the first few chapters of Acts. We preach the gospel of the grace of God that the Lord revealed to Paul in Acts chapter 9 after his conversion. And in, in, in the context of edification, look, we do not teach the same thing the 12 Jewish apostles taught. Okay, we give primacy, or think about the 12 apostles. What they taught, their primacy was on the teaching of Christ in the Gospels. The primacy for us is the teaching that Jesus Christ gave through the Apostle Paul, Romans to Philemon. And so we see this same pattern, this, this same way of applying the Great Commission, understanding the Great Commission in its rightful doctrinal context, we see the same thing in the other Great Commission passages, that it's not just Matthew 28. Look at Mark 16, 15. Okay, Mark 16, 15. This is one of my favorite passages because it's so simple. And he said unto them, Jesus Christ says unto his apostles, the eleven, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so he gives his apostles the Great Commission, and it's that they go out into the world and they preach the gospel to every creature, okay? This, that hasn't changed. Okay, now, now the presentation here in this, this passage of the Great Commission in Mark is clearly evangelistic, and this is why we see a lot of the parachurch ministries like uh, Living Waters, you know, Way of the Master, Ray Comfort, and uh, Kirk Cameron. We see a lot of these guys focus on Matthew 16.15. When they want to talk about the Great Commission, it's always Matthew 16.15. But why? Because it's, it's such a simple explanation of what God expects of us that it's—why would you overlook it? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Folks, that in a nutshell— is the tip of the spear. That's what God wants us to be doing. That's, that's exactly what God wants us to do. So we see a lot of these you know, ministries that focus on, um, on, on evangelism use this as a kind of a springboard or kind of their, their, their slogan, okay? And it contains two very clear commandments about evangelizing. Go and preach. So go and preach. And so during the, the church age, you know, what do we do? What do we do now? We could look at a, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different passages. Let's just um, let's look first at, at Romans ten thirteen to seventeen again. Okay, Romans ten thirteen to seventeen. We need to go. Okay, we need to go to where people are. Why? Because what do we want? We we want people to get saved. And Paul says in Romans ten thirteen that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We want to see lost people be saved. We know that's important. Well, then Paul goes, goes through this, this passage, and I know we've, we've been through it before, but just listen and think about this. How then shall they, shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher, and how shall they preach except they be sent? So, so do you see the, the progression? Flip it around and do the reverse. you got to go to preach. You have to preach so they can hear. 
They have to hear so they can believe, and they have to believe so they'll call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Look, we're, we're supposed to go and preach so people can hear. It's the same thing we see in principle in Mark 16, 15. The only difference is the content of the preaching. In Matthew 16, 15, you have the content is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, which is accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. And today, we preach the gospel of the grace of God. We don't receive the signs, wonders, and miracles because those were for the Jew. We receive the gospel of the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins and the new birth in Jesus Christ. So we go preach the gospel without the signs and the wonders and the, and the miracles. We preach Christ crucified, the gospel. That's exactly what we see in other passages. I mean, how many of these passages have, have we seen time and time again? Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us, every one of the reconciled, that's you and me, that's every saved person, has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So we have a ministry of reconciliation, to wit, to know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So God wants to save the world, not just our little Jerusalem, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us, he's charged us, he's dispensed to us the word of reconciliation. You see, that's the gospel. The gospel we're supposed to go out and preach. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is sent, go to another country to, pro- to, to proclaim the message of, of the one who sent him. So we're ambassadors for Christ, as though Christ did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. So look, it's, it's the same thing we've seen over and over and over. Uh, Paul says, you know, Christ didn't send me to, to baptize, he sent me to preach. 1 Corinthians 1.17, all the way through 1 Corinthians 2.5, Paul talks about preaching. He says, when I showed up, I didn't, I didn't want to know anything among you except Christ crucified, and I preached Christ and preached Christ crucified, because that's the, that's the salvation that's found in the preaching. So, look, Mark 16.15 is great. Um, it is, it's the Great Commission, and it's probably in, in the, one of the most condensed forms you'll ever see it. Go preach the gospel. Well, what about Luke? Luke... Um, 24, Luke 24, 46 to 48. Same thing. Listen to what it says. And he said unto them, Jesus said unto his 11 apostles, thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. So what do we see? Look, we see the same thing in Luke 24, 45, 46, and 47. And he says the same thing as it's the Great Commission. It's the same elements. You need to go and do it at, at, at Jerusalem. Go um, and into all nations. You need to go, and you're going to be witnesses of these things. You need to talk to people. You need to preach. He says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. So you go and preach. The one thing that we see that is added in this passage is repentance. Okay, so Luke has repentance mentioned in his presentation of the Great Commission. They're supposed to preach repentance. Well, that's, that's the same thing we see in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Acts 17, 30 and 31, this is after the rejection of Jesus Christ by the Jews in, in Acts chapter 7. This is after Paul got saved in Acts chapter 9. So we have 
the church age. We're reading church age history, okay? The revelation of the mystery of the body of Christ has been given to Paul, and he's propagating that. And so this is something that would apply to us. Acts 17.30, Paul says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now, now in the church age, now, during the time of the body of Christ, now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. How does he command them? He sends us, go and preach repentance to all nations, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And so, so we see this is Paul. That's, that's what he's preaching to the people on Mars Hill. And his, Paul's own testimony about his, his ministry, Acts 20, 20, and 21. Acts 20, verse 20. Paul says, look, I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from, and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's the same thing. Can we apply the Great Commission as we see it in Luke 24, 46 to 47 or 48? Yeah, we can. Why? Because God wants us to go to all nations. He wants us to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. He wants us to do that. Okay, so in principle, we can see the same thing. We see the same thing applied to us today. In principle, we're to go preach the gospel, call lost people to repentance and faith in Christ, and then baptize them and teach them. Okay, so one one or two more here, uh, two more. John 20, 21. John 20, 21. This is the gospel as given by the Apostle John. It's a little bit different than what we see in the synoptics, but we've looked at it before. John 20, 21. Then said Jesus unto them again, he's talking to his, to his apostles, peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And so he says, look, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. So how did the Father send Jesus? Because that's how he sent his disciples. Luke 19.10. Um, 19.10, what do I want? Luke, yeah, 19.10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So the Father sent the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, to come into this world to do what? Seek and save that which was lost. That which was lost, obviously, Adam and man. Okay, so that which was lost is is us. So he came into the world to seek out lost people to save them. That's exactly what we see Paul mention in 1 Timothy 1.15. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And so the, the, the commandment hasn't changed. As Jesus came into this world, as he was sent to this world, so he has sent us. He wants us to go seek to save the lost. What he wants us to do is to get out into the world, preach the gospel so that we can be in the world to save sinners. So again, in principle, the Great Commission applies to us. One more, and then we'll be done. Acts 1.8. Now, I know we've spent a lot of time in this one, so we don't need to, to dig into it much anymore. It should be very familiar. Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and in, unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so here we see um, Jesus Christ sending out his his 11 apostles again, okay? And we could probably include the the first 
believers of the church back then, the, the, the gathering of the, the Jews, they were sent to testify, okay? They were sent to be witnesses, okay? That's why we use that word today. I'm going to go witness to this guy, okay? So what he, what he wanted was them to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then unto the uttermost part of the earth. So it's kind of an expanding circle of witness to go and preach in the power of the Holy Spirit, go preach with, with boldness. So that's the same thing we see today. God wants us to be witnesses right where we're at, in our house, in our homes, in our works, in our community. But he also wants us to branch out. He wants us to go out to, to other places. He wants us to go preach the gospel, even to other countries. And so in principle, can we apply the Great Commission to us? Yeah. And so let's, let's wrap this up. Paul never repeated the Great Commission in his epistles. Paul never gave a new commission to the church in his epistles. We never see Paul use the same words that Jesus Christ used. We never see Paul giving a commission like, look, go make disciples of all nations, preaching the gospel to every creature and calling people to repentance and faith. Paul never gave that, that kind of concise commission to the church. Why? Well, it's because he didn't need to. There, there wasn't a necessity to repeat the commission that Jesus Christ gave originally. There wasn't any need to give a new commission because the Lord had already told his disciples, his followers, what he expected of them. Okay, so after his resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus Christ already set down what he wanted. I want you to go I want you to preach the gospel to the lost in all of the world. I want you to call men to repentance and faith in me. And then I want you to teach them everything that I gave you to teach them. And so Paul lived out the Great Commission in principle. And Paul taught the Great Commission to Christians that we ought to do the same. And so we all have the duty. We all have the charge. We all have been dispensed the stewardship of evangelizing the lost, baptizing new converts, and then teaching the saved to obey the commandments of Christ. What, what's most important here as we wrap up this, this lesson in this episode is that the, the passages in the four Gospels, at the end of the four Gospels, and, at the, and then the fifth passage there in the book of Acts, the beginning of the book of Acts, these five passages that contain the Great Commission. We need, we must understand them in their proper biblical, historical, doctrinal context. Because if we don't do that, we're going to find ourselves committing some grave errors. Let me read you one more passage, 2 uh, Peter 3.15 and 16. 2 Peter 3.15 and 16. I'll get there in a minute. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. It says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest 
as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. So I will agree that there are some things in the Bible which are hard to be understood. That's okay. Sometimes things are hard to understand because of what we've been taught before. And in order to understand them, we have to kind of unlearn what we've been taught before. And in this context with the Great Commission, we've received a lot of teaching about the Great Commission and how it applies to us. So for somebody to come along and begin to put the Great Commission in its proper historical and doctrinal context, sometimes that's difficult to understand because we have to unlearn a lot of bad things that we learned before. But once we do that, these things that are hard to learn or hard to understand really aren't that difficult. And we see the errors that we commit are usually anachronisms. What we do is apply something from the past to us today, or we take something from today and apply it to the past. See, we're either going to just grab the Great Commission and apply it today and say it's all ours, everything, and this is how we're supposed to do this thing, and that's an anachronism, or what we do is we take the church and we read it back into the Great Commission in the first chapters of the book of Acts. That's an anachronism. And what we have done is we have rested the Scripture. We've twisted it. And Peter says that, that when we do that, we're unlearned and unstable, which means we need to be taught proper, good, solid Bible doctrine, unlearned, but also unstable. And what that means is we have to stop being sloppy in our doctrine. And we have, to, we have to invest the time and the effort into understanding Bible passages in their proper biblical, chronological, and cumulative context. So look, here's, here's my question for you. We'll finish this up with this question. Can we apply the Great Commission to us today? Yes, in principle. The content has changed. We don't preach the gospel of the kingdom. We don't teach the teachings of Christ from the gospels. We preach the gospel God gave to Paul, which is the gospel of the grace of God, and we teach the doctrine that God gave to Paul, which is the mystery of the body of Christ. But we can still apply the Great Commission to ourselves in principle. So are we doing that? With all of this knowledge, with all of the stuff that we went through, with all of the doctrine and now an understanding of the proper doctrinal context of the Great Commission and how we can apply the Great Commission in our lives in principle, are we doing that? You see, the Great Commission can be applied to us. Are we applying the principles of the Great Commission? Are we going? Are we preaching the gospel? Are we calling men and women to repentance and faith in Christ? Are we seeing new converts baptized? Are we teaching the saints, the Word of God, all the counsel of God? Are we fulfilling the Great Commission? Because that's our mission, to go and make disciples of all nations. If we're not, if you, if you could say with me, look, I know I could do a little better. Okay, I could do a little better. Well, then let's pray. Pray that God would raise up laborers to send out into his harvest. Luke 10.2, right? Um, I'll read it to you. It's Sean Hole's um, passage that he has on his ministry, Luke 10.2 Ministries. Um, if you don't know who Sean Holes is, look up Luke 10.2 Ministries and, uh, and support your local street preacher. 
It says, Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So do that. If you say, you know what, I don't think I'm really fulfilling the Great Commission the way I should in all of its principles, okay, we'll pray that the Lord would raise up laborers for his harvest. Pray Luke 10.2. And then, once you do that, pray that God would make you one of those laborers in the harvest. And so ask God to give us boldness. Ask God to give you boldness to go and make disciples, evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved, just like he commanded his followers to do in the principles of the Great Commission, just like God commanded us to do through our apostle, the Apostle Paul. Be and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our Great Commission. It is the mission of our lives. It's the reason God left us here on the earth, and it's the only way that we can ever glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So thanks for listening if you made it this far, and um, I hope you'll come back for more. The next episode, we're going to continue with this line of thought, but we're going to start looking a little bit harder at the errors that are committed in the the church today with the Great Commission. We're going to talk about anachronisms. So have a good week, and I hope you come back for more Theology 101. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teologia101.net. If you'd like to contact me, There's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.